Today's episode is sponsored by the Costumes Rental Corporation. Welcome to Designing Hollywood Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Boutte, Jr. Today's episode is sponsored by Costume Rental Corporation, CRC Costumes. Designing Hollywood is a podcast show. It's dedicated to all things movies, the movie industry, and its industry professionals. Today's guest is one of Hollywood's most respected costume designers with four Oscar nominations to her name for Philip Kaufman's Quills, David Fincher's The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Alejandro Gonzalez Anuratu's The Revenant, and Denise Villeneuve's Dune. She is also Terrence Malick's go-to costume designer after a recommendation from his longtime production designer, Jack Fist, working with him on The New World, The Tree of Life, To the Wonder, and Night of Cups, while other credits include Stephen Norrington's The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which I love, Ben Affleck's Argo, and Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. She is a creative powerhouse, fiercely accurate, authentic, genuine, and always a pleasure to be around and to chat with. Without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome four-time Oscar-nominated costume designer, Jacqueline West, back to the Designing Hollywood Show. Welcome, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to be here, Philip, and I'm glad you gave CRC a shout out. It's a wonderful costume house where I've had my office for many, many years. Love them so much. And I appreciate you being here and also calling out CRC. So let's, I want to get started. We normally uh, start with just like kind of basic questions, just in case our audience is new, so they can get to know you a little better. So for the boring questions, it would just be, do you ever, do you have a moment or do you, re- you remember where you were like, you know, this is what I want to do or costume design is the thing? Like, how did that come about? I, uh, I remember, yes, I did have a moment. I was a fashion designer and uh, I was showing my clothing collection at the Pret-a-Porter in Paris. And I got a call from my office to call Philip Kaufman's office in San Francisco. And I did. And they said, you've got to call him at his office on the Rue Marbeuf in Paris. He's there doing Henry in June and he wants to talk to you. So I did. And I made a, a, a date to meet with him and his wife at a restaurant in opera called Bauta. And we sat there and we had this wonderful dinner. He never said anything. Uh, and I didn't want to bring it up. I was shy, you know. And this is his famous big director, The Right Stuff, Unbearable Lightness of Being. And his wife said, ask her, ask her. <laughs> and he said, will you come and work on Henry and June with us? And they had written it together, and it was really, I knew, a very important project for them both. Mm -hmm. And he was a very good friend of my husband's. Rose became, she's passed away since, but she became one of my very closest, dearest friends, very close to both of them. And um, I said, sure, I I finish at the Pret-a-Porter next week. And And I said, but I have to get back. I'm opening a new store in San Francisco. And he says, no, no. He said, we'll fly you back and forth if you'll work on this with us. And he gave me a beautiful apartment on the Rue Vavin across from Picasso's old studio and uh, just a 360 degree view of Paris and a driver and a million French francs and said, just start. He said, you know more about Anna Eastman than anyone I know. I'd read all her journals twice. I'd met her when I was a student at Berkeley and I was walking down the street on his way to the Rue Marbeuf to show him things that and drawings that I did for her house and Louvain and for her what I thought she should look like. He had a designer on it. She was French, but I don't think he was 
completely happy. You know, he wanted some take that might have been a little different for her. And um, although that designer, I just loved her work, you know, and uh, the movie ended up beautifully. I was, I was, my credit was overall uh, artistic consultant to the director on, on sets, uh, you know, set dressing, uh, items of clothing, hat boxes that she would have owned, that kind of thing. So I spent a lot of time at the Marche Malik at Clignacourt. And walking into his office, I thought, this is fun. I I might want to do this. But I had this full-on clothing company, you know, I had my own department in Barney's. And it did, it seemed very, very far away. At the end of the movie, I went back, opened my store in San Francisco, and I had a store in Berkeley next to Chez Panisse. At the end, um, I got a call, you know, after the movie, he was done. He says, come to Lucasfilm. We're going to be editing the movie. I want you to see the things you found in the movie. And then there he said, the next movie I do, I want you to design it. But I wasn't in the union or anything. And, you know, that seemed very, very far away. But he was a powerful director and got Sean Connery involved on Rising Sun. And there I was. I was in the film business. And I didn't wind down my clothing company till after I got nominated for Quills about eight years later. It was my second movie. And I was nominated. And I started getting a lot of offers from agents and from directors who love the look of the movie. And that's what Jack Fisk saw when he recommended me was Quills to Terrence Malick. That's incredible. So it was just kind of like this whole, like, uh, like kind of getting swept up in the moment. Or getting... It was serendipitous. I mean, it was Phil Kaufman, uh, my husband, James, who was good friends with Phil, telling him I could do this. And I said, I don't know if I can do this. He said, you were running a really big clothing company. You can do this. <laughs> That and, and 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 also your design sensibilities. Um, I, My I, mother was a fashion designer, and I was an art history major, so I'm used to looking yeah. at brush, strips, brush, brush strokes, details, drapery folds. You have to identify a painting by the smallest little drapery folds in, or the smallest little brush stroke in art history. So you get very detail oriented, and I've always thought that costuming was all in the details question for you. We touched on this the last time I talked, but I just want to bring it up because it was one of the coolest things. Um, uh, and I want to see if you still kind of do it. Um, I got to work with Jacqueline on the social network really quickly. And she had set up, you had set up the space, the workspace to feel the way that it was when they were doing Facebook. Do you still do that in your own workspaces now? Like where you kind of set them up to evoke a feeling? Um, I do. I do. With the, uh, with Colors of the Flower Moon, I had uh, Julie O'Keefe with me, and she brought to me the most incredible um, items that we could decorate our office with. And uh, we didn't make a lodge, but mm -hmm. we had necklaces, we had otters, otter hats, and an actual otter skins, and all the stuff that things were made from. But mainly my office was filled with research boards on this one because I wanted to be really authentic. So I made these 10 foot tall, four foot wide research boards that covered all the different aspects of the movie. And there were many, all the, all the uh, artisans, um, blacksmiths, shopkeepers, um, modern Osage wearing 1920s clothing, uh, modern Osage that wore still many traditional items, 
and then traditional Osage, traditional Osage women, traditional Osage men, um, guardians, bankers, uh, townspeople, cowboys, ranchers. And it was, we just lined all the walls with them. So it wasn't quite like mm-hmm. I did on social network where I recreated uh, Mark Zuckerberg's room at Harvard. <laughs> this was a little bit more complex and there were, it was such a, uh, a bigger world, you know, um, uh, it wasn't four guys creating a one of the biggest first apps, but it was <laughs> many, many people involved in, on many layers, the good guys, the bad guys, you know, um, the protagonists, the, uh, the, you know, just the onlookers, uh, parades people, the war mothers, it was so vast um, that I wasn't, I didn't create just a room, but we did create this, this doll, a traditional Osage oh, woman. That's incredible. Leggings and the, and the trade cloth and the Osage blouse. It's a little miniature Osage grandmother. That's so, amazing. Uh, we had a lot of stuff like that. We had sections of the workroom that were just, we had a wonderful, I had a wonderful, um, specialty costumer who really learned how to do uh, finger weaving. We tried to enlist as many Osage people to do their crafts, that that their specialty crafts. Like uh, Julie referred to them as kitchen artists, mm-hmm. where they did um, beautiful ribbon work at home, uh, finger weaving. But then we had to also, we had to, it was so massive, all the fringe on all the blankets, we did it in-house. Pendleton made us maybe a thousand blankets. They replicated all the blankets. There's a big panoramic shot I had up in my office of all the Osage going to Washington, D.C. And we made 22 sections of it and blew it up and sent those to Pendleton. It was a 1920s, 21 photograph. And uh, they recreated all those in the colors they had made in the 20s from the Osage along with the 1920s Pendleton label. So it was it was so vast. I couldn't do it like I did social network, mm-hmm. which was smaller, uh, a big story, but a smaller, smaller venue. I want to say that just I wanted to, to talk to our viewers a little bit to explain is like a lot oftentimes when we are working in costume, right? Costume designer like Jacqueline will set up a, a space, right? There's a space to work and like everyone's coming. And I just I thought it was cool because it was very unique of Jacqueline in, in the sense to try to make her workspace feel or take on or encompass the film, right? It just feels it's like an artist's dream. It felt like being enveloped with another artist where you're just working and it was fun. Um, so I always bring that up because I just, just feel for that. It helps the actors when they come in to be immersed. Our dressing room, we we put uh, Pendleton blankets on all the furniture, and uh, there were pictures of Molly's. You know, we had uh, I got from Jack Fisk of what her house probably looked like, and we tried to decorate our fitting room that way, and um, have a lot of pieces that were traditional Osage pieces sitting around to that you could get the feeling, you know, I did that for the non-Osage actors too, like for Leo and Robert and Jesse Plemons. And um, I tried to create a little, you know, a Texas Ranger scene for him. And um, we we tried to do that just because the co- their costume fitting is really the bridge for the actors from the actor to the character. Mm-hmm. It's the first place 
they really start feeling they're the actor because they're putting on clothes from another period. And if you do it right, they stand differently. They behave differently. They, um, if they're big talkers, they'll get quiet, like their character. It, it's amazing. It, it is a it is a first place, and I feel if I can give the writers the right hook, they're they start really feeling their roles. We you know, it, we win. Really These were really good actors, so I didn't have to do too much. But. Oh my gosh, we have to talk about that too. The performances in this film um, were incredible. Um, incredible incredible um, i really felt transported um but before before we go there i, I want to kind of pull it back a little bit and say we talked about or you were talking about uh, research right so with julie can you kind of talk about that a little bit and like how you approach research in general because you had the walls covered in research just as a designer like when you're going into a project that has such a massive amount of research to do like what's your thought process on that or how do you start well, uh, I read the script. I always start by reading the script about six or seven times. I learned that from a book I read about Edith Head when I first started. <laughs> you have to know the characters from the inside out to dress them. And then you're really just taking them shopping in the period that okay. they're in. taking, keeping in mind who they are in the script, what their economic, uh, you know, uh, situation is, um, uh, basically who they are and then they kind of buy their own clothes you know or pick their own clothes and then i make closets for them but i read first i read the script many times and then i get an idea about the character let's say hale i robert de niro's character there were pictures of him online and plus i'd done another movie with terrence malick in oklahoma uh because terry had grown up there and uh i went to Woola Rock and he and uh, Frank Phillips was a big rancher there, and he had a lot of books, and there were a lot of pictures of him with his crony rancher friends. And I got a really, aside from the just the uh, like the kind of smoking jacket we first see Robert Rev, uh, Robert De Niro in, he I saw a picture of a rancher sitting by his fireplace in a smoking jacket like that, and I reproduced it because you you get some hints to the character but you don't know their entire closet for all the different scenes they're going to be in. So you start just in your head amassing research for that character. And then for the Osage, there were like Molly's family, there were a lot of studio shots of her and her sisters. So you could kind of get a sense of uh, by the little things that the shoes each one of them was wearing or a handbag one of them was holding or the blankets they were wearing or how modern their clothes under the blankets were. And then the Osage, I watched a lot of home movies. They were at a hundred at $1,800 a minute. The Osage, aside from the Royal family in England, were some of the, the few people in the world that could afford home movies. And they documented themselves because they could afford to uh, riding in their planes, um, uh, practicing archery, going to Eastern schools, playing football. So it was beautiful research for all the football uniforms I had to make for the movie. They mm -hmm. were wool. They were very specific of that time period. So it was a lot of home movies that the Osage fortunately made, not knowing that how I was going <laughs> to use them a hundred years later, right? Um, but it 
I really did rely on, I did tons of research. Uh, I couldn't leave for Oklahoma for four months because of COVID. So I sat at my house in Deadwood mm-hmm. and uh, I watched a lot of 1920s films. One of them being uh, the winning of Barbara Worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was 1926 by Henry King. And it was fabulous references for both Ronald Coleman. I used very heavily for Hale, William Hale, and um, uh, Gary Cooper for a lot of Leo's wardrobe when he's, you know, his casual wardrobe. There was a lot of, um, just in, in like recalling it now and you're talking about the different characters, I have to ask, texture. There was so much texture in the costumes in terms of like the different characters and how you played them off of each other um, and color palette. Was there anything specifically that you were thinking about for each one to kind of delineate them? Um, Because it feels very visually, they all feel like themselves, but when they're on screen together, they have their own cues. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Well, like I said, once you get to know the character, they're individuals Mm -hmm. and then you dress themselves, you you get a sense of their, uh, you know, their inner self and people pick clothes based on who they are so uh they they're different because they're really different characters and uh the color palette i i really didn't have uh a lot in mind because i was looking at everything in black and white but i i really had to like make up the color palettes but pendleton did something interesting they had colors that they made their blankets in in the 20s and set me uh a beautiful uh, uh, palette of all the blanket colors. Like when you, the scene you liked of all the sisters sitting out on the um, on the blankets is one of my favorite. I'm I paint and and I want to I want to do this as a painting because I just I just love this this of all the sisters. Beautiful. It's and beautiful. just the whole palette. I wanted to keep it um, like. Black and white, but in color, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. without anything popping too much, so that you get the feeling. We're so used to looking at this era in black and white that I didn't want uh, the color to take over the character. And then Rodrigo did something really interesting. He shot the the scene where Lizzie Q is taken off by her aunt, taken away to. Um, heaven by her ancestors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and very heightened it's like you know real uh heightened what, is, what was it called autochrome or I, I can't remember the technique but it was shot with very you know bright color because it was an intensive scene and it should stand out from her death scene which was very muted and quiet with her daughters around her and uh, that, that bright, and, where the ancestors were like in bright red, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's taken from a research uh, photo of an actual Osage woman, very, very famous in their history, um, and the man. And they were taken to Europe. That the woman in the red dress mm-hmm. is from a portrait in the Bodmer book from the Prince of Weed Travels in America, and she was taken to Europe and then kind of as to to show Europeans the the magnificence of the Osage and then kind of abandoned there. Mm. And it was um, this uh, city of Montalban that raised the money and got her back to her family back home. And I was so 
charmed by her story and how she got back to her family and how now to this day, Montauban in France is the sister city of Pahaska in Oklahoma because they got they got her back to her people. That's they raised money and sent her home. And I thought it would be a great ancestor for Lizzie Q, who was a real traditional, grew up in the plains, fight, you know, catching, uh, hunting buffalo, uh, curing the skins. She was a plains woman. And I thought to go back to that time, the Prince of Wee, the early 1800s, for her ancestor, for both her and the man all painted red, mm. would be wonderful image and I talked to Marty about and he loved it and the Osage were really happy with showing that you know their their ancestors it was very artful um and it and it seamlessly I think what was really great about it too is that it seamlessly blended into the film tour it didn't take you out of it but you also got right away what was happening like it wasn't like you had to like you're like wait what where are we it's like it was very clear it's this is the time and she's going and like it was just really well done. And I like that it has a double, like a meaning. Um, oftentimes, like, cause I teach a class on concept art, right? Or in costume, right? And what you're saying, it it's like, there's a, there's a level of, with costume, it's like, I always tell the students, like, you can't dress this person if you don't know who they are or, or where they come from, right? So you can't, it, it, otherwise it just becomes kind of visual and it's not something, it, it feels basic or it just feels not grounded somehow. Um, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't it, feel it, real, right? There's something about it where it just it comes off as like disingenuous or something. And in this film, it felt the opposite where I could tell you really were living with these people. But then also, like you said, the kind of having that color palette in black and white, I could see that when I was watching it in the sense that it felt vibrant and it felt lively because we're used to seeing it in black and white, but nothing stood out too much to where you're like, like, it just it felt like we were dropped in this place in real in real time and like we're experiencing it the way that it was and I think that that's a testament to your art history as well and like the fact that you really settle yourself in the moment um, and then try to kind of like design from the the world out it's it's very artful I think that that's the best way I can describe you whenever I talk to you is like it's just artful but there's also something that's really fun about it too which is I want to talk to our audience in the sense of it's a job. There's a job in there. There's an actual job in costume design. Um, and Jack, Jacqueline does it very well in the sense that there's the art side of it. And then there's the side of it is like the research, the history, the learning, like reading books, looking at paintings, looking at the way people lived. Like, And that's that to me is the funnest part about costume design is like each time you're transported to this new place and you get to like. I'm traveling. Yeah. Yeah, I love doing period film because I feel I get to time travel. And when you're with a really consummate director, I've, I've worked with some and Marty's probably the king of that. You you walk onto a set, especially a set that Jack Fisk has designed. I've done nine movies with Jack Fisk. Mm -hmm. You are transported. First time I really ever, um, ever felt that, I think when I was doing Henry and June with Phil Kaufman, in 1920s Paris and I walked into the Brasserie de Lilas and I felt I felt could feel Hemingway sitting at the bar writing The Sun Also Rises. You know, I mean, I felt transported to another time. And I felt that on all the movies I've done with Jack Fisk, walking onto the fort um in 1604 Jamestown. Um I I felt like I was time traveling. 
And I think that's the most thrilling thing for me about this, the job I do. And Marty, uh, you feel that on his sets, the whole mood is you're transported and it's, it's such a wonderful, wonderful career in that respect. Where do you ever get to do that? You can do it when you read to an extent, but it's, when you're surrounded with all the furniture and the memorabilia and the, the right clothing and everything, and you walk on and you feel, okay, this is it. This is right. You know, it's the most rewarding thing you can feel. I love it so much. And I, I think that we were talking about it a little bit before, and I want to bring it up now, which is your collaboration process in terms of collaborating with directors um, like Marty and others. Um, I tend to feel like you're a master collaborator in the sense that you kind of get in there and you kind of find this like this perfect melding of all those artistic mediums with production design and all of it, right? Can you talk about like what you think makes a good collaborator or like how you feel like that's a part of the process? Well, I... Um... I always pick uh, my films. I was picked on this one by Marty and I was so enchanted by that because I never dreamed I'd ever get to work with, with him. And once he hired me, my husband said, okay, you can quit now. Yeah. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I always show the director everything first. And I love their reaction because they have lived with the film longer than any of us. They've hired us all, you know, they put their team around them, but they have been living with it a very long time when you get to finally meet with them and show them things. And Marty has this wonderful, it's almost this young man enthusiasm about stuff. He's like, a, he gets excited like a kid, you know? And when you see that level of excitement, when you show him something, then you feel okay about showing the actors because um, you don't want to, he, he has a vision, right? That he's lived with and you want to give him his vision, especially someone like Scorsese that's such a student of film and has all these incredible favorite movies that he loves, you know, and you want to make, make it, give him what he's seeing, but you also don't want to throw something in an actor that's not, you know, uh, that isn't right or that Marty hasn't seen or, or you know, um, you really want them to feel that they have the approval of their director, you know, and that they're going to show up on set being dressed in a way he agrees that is right for the scene. So that's kind of my collaboration process. And then like with Leo, I had worked with him on The Revenant. So I felt I had a, a, a short shorthand with him you know he's not not just a, a handsome handsome man he's an incredible actor incredible. people don't think of him that way he's a method actor and he really puts on something that he's going to wear in the scene and does the scene and lets you know if it feels right and you know jackie maybe i won't wear my jacket on this one you know or uh uh, I love these suspenders, you know, and I can kind of play with them. He He's a, a real collaborator. And um, I, I just, I just loved him on the Revenant and on this movie. And I actually go on his trailer and he puts the clothes on that he, I have the idea. And he wants to know why I came up with this outfit for this scene. Cause he had a lot of different changes mm -hmm. because there were a lot of different moods in the scene, some pajamas, home with his kids, in bed with Molly, um, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, riding around 
uh, doing uh, robberies with the boys and you know, many different levels. He had to look right for the scene in that um, I would go and talk to him about why I'd made that choice for that scene on his trailer. And, you know, sometimes he'll say, oh, I love this, but can can I lose the jacket? Or maybe I should have that jacket that I wore in the other scene for the scene, you know. And we love, I love talking to him about it. He's so smart and so, so um, good with clothes and with the choices. And, and then I had a, I had a consultant on this movie. I've never worked with a consultant before. And that was wonderful because what Julie O'Keefe did was she brought me the best artisans in the Osage nation. So people that felt this story and they had, family members who were killed and and who lived through the reign of terror, they could be part of telling the story. And they brought me wonderful things that I could either borrow or copy or actually use in the movie. There were actual pieces from them that we, um, uh, Julie arranged a wonderful, uh, with one of my assistants, she arranged this wonderful trunk show where it was COVID. So they would drive through the parking lot of the airport and I would stay on the loading dock and they would open up their trunks and show me things they were willing to share with me. And we had to carefully photograph and tag everything. So they got everything back. And it was a wonderful process. And I loved my collaboration with her. I, I, I'd say if anyone doing a, a movie like this with an, a, a native nation to mm-hmm. have somebody who really uh, understands the subtlety. Cause you can look at a uh, hundred photos of women in blankets. But what I learned from Julie is in every, every situation you would wear your blanket a different way. There's six ways to fold that blanket. And you don't see that in a photograph cause you don't see what they're doing. So that meant the world to me, having her. They told me I could have her for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, I said to my supervisor, get her for more. Yeah, she, we need her the whole time. I, <laughs> I'm i a big proponent of, you know, diversity, inclusion, equity, all of those things. I And it's for this exact reason. Um, so I want everyone paying attention or watching to understand um, that what Jacqueline did with Julie is something that's necessary, especially to be culturally authentic, is to allow people to tell their story, right? To allow them to be the voice that can come in and tell you because it only makes the art better, but it also makes it more authentic. So I really appreciate you having um, that collaboration um, and also kind of championing it because there are so many times when we do things that are culturally specific where we can get them wrong and not by, it could be the best intention just by not having someone in the room to say, that's not exactly how we would do that, right? So that's really helpful. Um, So important to Lily Gladstone, let's talk about a fabulous actress in Lily Gladstone. Uh, But she really trusted me having, because I had Julie there to go to her trailer every day and bless how she was wearing her blanket or what she had on, how her wabankas were put on her blouse. I had Julie go and actually, you know, kind of bless her wardrobe. She would wait till Lily came back from the rehearsal and she would say, we'd go to the trailer, her trailer together. And Julie would say, what are you doing in this scene? Cause it was closed rehearsals with Marty and the actors. And She'd say, oh, I'm doing this. I'm combing my mother's hair, you know. And she said, well, then you would fold your blanket over this to free your arm. You know, it was like very, very, very specific. And 
Lily loved that. It gave her this, um, and then Marty didn't have to think about it. He knew that if Julia was there blessing everyone on set, you know, I had my best, my dream team on this movie dressing the background, not just the Osage, but dressing all of the non-Osage background. And it's two people that have done, I've done many movies with, um, I have to give them a shout out, Monica Haynes and, and Joe Chigliano. They are genius. I I think the background in this movie is some of the best background dressing I have ever seen in the movie. And I'm not I'm not no. blowing my horn on this. It's noticeable. They, they it's are noticeable. They're my dream team. This was very noticeable because um, watching it, especially knowing that I was going to talk to you, I was really paying attention to costume and texture and color and all those things. But I was also paying attention to the background and there was not one half stepped like there was not like, a oh, we phone this in because you're deep in the background. Everybody felt like they were genuinely there and came to play and brought their A game. It was incredible. Um, so shout out to the both of them because they did a great job. It was very noticeable and it really blended. Um, it really blended. It just watching the main characters along with the background along with every it just felt like a bunch of creatives like all together and everyone knew what they were supposed to do but it felt real um I haven't felt transported like that watching a film in a very long time um because everything kind of feels you know the filmmaking has changed um but this felt artful it felt purposeful and it felt it, it was exciting I was really kind of just um, it felt good to just sit in the theater and be transported someplace and then know that everybody was really excited about telling this story. Um, something and that, I had four oh, really good assistant designers on this. It was please, massive. Oh, yeah, please name them. Um, uh, I had, uh, I, I'll try to do it alphabetically. Yeah. I had um, uh, Christy Cham, um, Christy Hoffman, uh, Amelia McKinney, and Tim Wonsick. <laughs> They all, did a, they all did a great job. Yeah, there was a, um, I could tell that you guys had a lot of work to do too, because there was so many different sections. Um, and I was just noticing little things. Um, there was a question that I had specifically, I don't know why this scene stood out to me, but it was the paddling scene. So I'm just, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, the paddling scene with um, with Leo. And, uh -huh. and I, I, I noticed his boots. He loved his boots. That's, that's exactly, it was, but, but when I saw that choice, it was a really interesting silhouette of a costume choice because it made him feel more vulnerable. Like it wasn't, it was like very slim and it was like, you're getting paddled today, right? Like I wanted to know if you had a stop. His butt looked like a little boy. Yes. You know, <laughs> his father. Yeah. yeah. It, felt uh, like. it was a, it was a choice. I, I picked that pair of pants because of how they fit him in the back. Correct. And, I thought there was something so vulnerable and exposed about him. No jacket, you know, because often he wears a jacket with those pants. Mm -hmm. But um, the cowboy boots, I nicked from Tom Mix. Uh, <laughs> Tom, Tom Mix lived in Pahuska. Okay. And everything was bespoke because he was such a famous actor in that period, living in that town. So I figured that Leo would see his movies and watch and want to look like that and could afford it. Once he's married to Molly, right? Yes. And a friend of mine who owns Cowboy Two in Belfouche, South Dakota, replicated those boots for me. Uh, I live about seven miles away from Cowboy Two, and his name is George Wilson. He also, uh, in in his factory, he he does a lot of rodeo, but 
his company has been around for many, many years. And same with the hats. And I'll get into the hats. But he made all the boots for the Osage because they wore a different style cowboy boot. If you notice in the movie, like Henry Rones, they're different style than 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 cowboys because the Osage took a cowboy kind of uh, look mythology, but made it their own. Yes. Right. And so he made all the Osage boots because I couldn't find them anywhere. It's a Spanish heel with a very high rise. And that's so yeah. high as a rattlesnake can strike because they were smart. Uh, yeah. I was going to ask, like, I feel like riding boots. And I was trying to yes, figure out how that's awesome. That's as high as a rattlesnake can strike. And then I had, uh, and he made them all and put them all in his horse trailer with with the Leo's boots, the Tom Mix copies. And he drove them all from South Dakota down to Oklahoma for me and showed up in his horse trailer and called me on my cell phone and said, Jackie. And I said, George, how are the boots coming? He says, they're done. They're outside. Look out the door. And there he was with his big Julie and his horse trailer with a horse trailer filled with boots, probably a hundred pair. That's incredible. <laughs> and, and a friend of mine, uh, it's been called the hat movie of the year. A friend of mine uh, named uh, Jack Scholl owns mm-hmm. Weather Hats. And Weather Hats has been a cowboy hat company since um, since 1911. And they made hats for John Wayne, for Gary Cooper, for Tom Mix, for all the big cowboy films from the teens on, Right. From the beginning of, you know, probably all the hats for the John Ford movie. If you go to American Costume, she's got a lot of weather hats mm-hmm. from all the different eras. And so my friend is actually my husband's friend because we have a place in Deadwood. And my husband used to go to Belfouche, get him a coffee, bring it into a store and keep him company where he was making hats. And just because my husband loved to be, he was a, he's a writer and he loved to be around that whole cowboy mythology. And so his picture is in all the hats, all Leo's hats, all of uh, all of Robert De Niro's hats. He's uh, I can't show you because I just gave one of his hats to Marty last night with his <laughs> picture inside. But um, he made he reproduced the hats from the research for me. He had all the blocks uh, from if uh, if you see the GQ magazine, it shows his studio. He's got all the blocks from the 1920s on to block the hats and he uses real, you know, uh, the real beaver wool or whatever they call it. And he molds them and makes them just so perfect. They're like art objects. Tell me how, um, uh, I wanted to talk about you making, cause we, we've talked a little bit and you brought it up COVID. COVID was a big thing during this film, right? Of the filming process of this and like how you were able to kind of navigate around that. And also you were making, I guess, uh, the suits with United American Costume. Were you doing that while doing Dune in Budapest? Yes. (laughs) Explain that craziness. Just talk about how you were able to like work through that. Uh, Diana's an old friend of mine. I, I first, my first movie I ever did in Hollywood was Rising Sun and there was a big karaoke video scene where I met Lester Bayless and Diana and my and you know I've always wanted to do Jackie West Western I didn't get to do it until Marty right (laughs) one Western scene in Rising Sun and I met Lester Bayless and Diana I I used them they that I used Lester's office he let me use his house 
because I was living just in Deadwood at the time. He let me use his house in um, in uh, Valley Glen, and he let me use his office at American Costume all through Benjamin Button. So I have a long history with Diana. So I called her while I was in Budapest and asked her if she could possibly do some suits for this movie. And she said, oh, I have all of Lester's patterns because Lester's since passed away. But Lester is in the Cowboy Hall of Fame. He was in John Wayne's contract. He had to have Lester Bayless on every movie he did after a certain point in his career. Diana always says she runs American costume that she grew up on John Wayne's knee. And she had all the patterns from the 1920s and made all of Robert De Niro's suits because they had to look bespoke. This is a rich rancher, right? And I couldn't, you can't just go rent, you know, a suit in his size at a costume house. They have to look new, like he could afford to go have his suits bespoke, you know, either in Tulsa or in Pazga by a tailor. And she did the same for Leo. And uh, it, she started the whole process early on. Um, during COVID, we had to be tested twice a day to even be on set. Can you imagine that whole crew? But we made the whole movie right during COVID. Yeah. And uh, I remember we bought a motorhome to drive with our dog down. We didn't want to stay in motels going to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. You know, we traveled from Deadwood right down. We took the path of the Osage from the Missouri you know, the the Missouri down through Kansas into Oklahoma, just the way the Osage moved in their history. But that for me was really important, uh, you know, just seeing the lands they'd lived on before they got to Oklahoma and what was taken away from them to help tell that story and give that level of, um, you know, gravitas to it. There's a tonal, there's a tonal shift that happens in the movie that I want to ruin, but it was almost like you're going from it's like you start almost with Leo and his perspective and his family and then it starts to kind of go into the Osage and then it's like you start getting enveloped in that and seeing the way the world is and then it like just shifts it just keeps shifting but it was interesting because um it felt like you really kind of like the Osage part of it felt so authentic and real and it felt like you knew their travels but then it also felt like you're, it, it felt like there was a point in the story where you're humanizing with them and understanding them and understanding where they are. And then it starts to shift and say kind of what happened to them um, in a very beautiful way. Can you kind of talk about like the, the the tonal shifts and how you approach those? I don't even know if I did it purposefully, Phil. Mm-hmm. It was a mood. You know, there as you, Molly's clothes get darker as, mm-hmm. as it but when she's really sad and her sisters are being killed you don't see her in bright happy colors when when she's kind of uh when he's kind of courting her their courtship Mm -hmm. uh she's brighter and more playful but she still needs a, a certain elegance and sternness when she confronts the awful guardian who's calling her an incompetent you know and questioning buying meat and uh, so you you have to go scene by scene. It wasn't so conscious uh, moving it. Uh, it wasn't a, I wanted each scene to feel natural. Yes. And you, you kind of pick your clothes on a given day by what you're going to be doing, who you're going to be talking to, how you want to come off. 
how you want to present yourself, you know, um, with a certain, and, and she had a lot of pride in being Osage. That's why she stays traditional. So she would use her clothes to make a statement. She would, those blankets for Molly are not targets. Like one of her sisters says, we're, these blankets are targets on our back. Mm -hmm. For her, they were armor. And it was her against the world. And I think she wears it like a coat of arms. Very much so. It made her feel, even the way she walked and she stood in them, it made her feel really confident and very proud. And powerful. 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 They're going to take her pride away because they're calling her an incompetent when she was an educated, intelligent, beautiful woman. Nothing incompetent about Molly Burkhart. There's a there's also a scene um, that I want to talk about, too, because I, I noticed it and I was just like, that's so good. And I don't even know if you did it on purpose. It was Leo's wearing like an Osage print kind of like a jacket or something like that. But it's when he's doing the worst things. And it was kind of one of those things where I was just like, and then there's the dialogue of him, like the wolf, the snake, like that. It was just like the wolf in sheep's clothing. Like that jacket to me was just like, I was like, you snake. Like it was just kind of, and I don't know if you did that on purpose or if it was like him, he doesn't even understand it, that he's doing it, you know? Well, first of all, the, the mink coat, of the Osage were the Pendleton blankets. Okay. Those huge status symbols. And that's a real one from the 1920s, very, very valuable. Mm -hmm. And you know, you know this, Phil, one is none in a movie, right? Yeah. There's one of those jackets in the world because it's made from one blanket. Right. And I had the most incredible cutter fitter on this movie. I've done several movies with her. She did the revenant for me. Mm -hmm. And Leo helped me get her in, you know, to to do this. She came from Canada to do it and she got a perfectly matched all the all the Pendleton blanket uh print was matched out of one blanket and he's a big guy Leo mm -hmm. and just one of those but the idea was I saw a picture of Tom Mix wearing a jacket out of a Pendleton jacket just around his house in in Oklahoma you know uh, he lived in Pahuska so Osage County and and I loved him in it with the with the pants and the boot pants tucked in the cowboy boots and stuff. I just loved the look and I showed it to Leo and he loved it. Then I had to think of where he could wear that. Right. Cause I, I did a mannequin of him and showed it to Mark, pictured it. I didn't have Leo at that point. He'd gone on the way and I wasn't going to have him for a while. So I put it on a mannequin, his size and showed it to Marty. Marty loved it. And um, I knew Leo would love it. And I kind of talked to Leo about it before he left. And then I had to figure out where the best place. And I tried to make it a snaky scene like you talked about, mm -hmm. because it's something Molly gave him and made out of a precious blanket that you wouldn't cut up. Correct. Unless it was somebody you love. Oh, and the interesting cool part of this story is they did really love each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he's manipulated and betrays her through manipulation because he's not that smart you know he doesn't even realize he's being manipulated but they loved each other and at that point she made him a jacket out of love and gave him this jacket in my head this is my backstory and how i presented it to marty and then the snakiest scene when he's you know talking to william hale about getting rid of her and getting her head rights he wears it and it's that whole cross 
intermesh of love and betrayal. So I really picked the scene for that jacket. It was perfect because I it was like at that point I was feeling all the emotions and I knew what was going on. And it was like because that transition goes from him being not very bright, but charming to then like them falling in love and then you realizing what's happening and going behind the scenes and all that. And by the time he wears it, it just felt so inappropriate. But it also felt like to a degree uh, to Leo's testament of his acting, it feels like he can't even see himself like he doesn't see what he's doing. Right. Um it's incredible that like that scene really stood out to me just because it was at that point I was just like you don't you can't wear that you know what I mean you don't get to wear that um yeah. and it was, yeah. <laughs> but knowing now even more so I didn't pick up on the cuts meaning I picked up on it more in a visual I didn't pick up on it in terms of like the fact that he had cut up this thing that you shouldn't cut to make a jacket and that makes it even more disrespectful it's just a it's a really nice moment uh, so thank you for that well, I think I have another interview. I just noticed yeah. it's twelve o'clock. Yes, no problem. I was going to say, let me let me cut Sorry. it. But I love talking to you, and I remember talking to you on social network, and how I loved the interview. Then you yeah. really are one of the best costume interviewers. But that's what you do, right? Thank and you that's so what you much. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to thank Jacqueline West for being on the show today. Um, I also want to thank our sponsor, Costume Rental Corporation. Um, and I want to uh, thank our founder and executive producer, Martika Ibarra, and co-founder costume designer, Marilyn Vance. I want to thank our hosting partner, John Campia, and to all our viewers for tuning in to make sure that you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Tune in in the audio version wherever you listen to our podcast. Um, you can follow me. Um, uh, you can follow the host and you can follow Designing Hollywood uh, podcast show and well as me on social media at Phil underscore Boutte. Um, and we want to thank Jackie again for coming on the show and appreciate your time so much. Thank you very much. Thank you, Phil. Great no interview. Problem. Thank you so much. I'll see you later. Bye. Bye-bye. And thank you to our very impressive sponsor, Costumes Rental Corporation. The variety of costumes at Costumes Rental Corporation is expansive. CRC is recognized worldwide as the premier supplier of military and police costume uniform rentals. Costumes Rental Corporation takes pride in its commitment to each customer, helping to produce the type of exceptional look needed for a successful production.